0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in this series we're doing called Being. And uh, this series is a sub-series of our, our mission. And uh, we've talked about our mission being one more. One more lost child back to dad. That's at the heart. It's at the center of everything we do. And we've talked already at some length, but we'll, we'll get to more in the, in the weeks ahead, about... Um, uh, how we do it. See, the, the mission is what we do. It's one more. It's our, and then how we do it, that's our method, and we talk about being a force, a frontline operation, reconciling, caring, and encouraging. And that as, as, as that, we have a radical message, radical hospitality, and radical generosity. Why we do it, is our motivation. Our motivation is love. We've seen that. It's Christ's love that compels us. And it's a love for God and a love for others that's at the heart of our mission. And this series is really about that. It's about our motivation. And that um, we, we learn about loving God and loving others, relating to God and, and relating to others, and uh, in, in what that really looks like in a simple message that Jesus gave, uh, well, it wasn't simple, nothing simple about it. Probably the, 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 the most known message that Jesus ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. A part of that is, is what this attitude of life is all about, this, this being, and that's called the Beatitudes. And so we're, we're breaking them down and looking at them and talking about these attitudes in our life. And that culturally, uh, our culture has moved more into a place of having than being and they've, they've, they've tried to sort of put their, their hope in having, and it doesn't work, and that life is found in being, being in relationship with God and others, loving God and loving others, and that's what this whole series is about. And, and I've been encouraging you to memorize the Beatitudes, uh, kind of doing one or two a week, and uh, so far we should know, I think, five, three through six. I'm not pushing this too hard, maybe a little f- further, but, but blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comforted. I added a did it in there. (laughs) Did you hear it? Sorry. Comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, We talked about Matthew 5.3, I called that the attitude of humility. We talked about Matthew 5.4, and we called that the attitude of reality. Last week we looked at Matthew 5.5, and we called that the attitude of gentleness. This week we're going to tackle Matthew 5.6, and and look at uh, this particular beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I'm going to call this the attitude of radical living. You keep, I keep tossing that word radical in, uh, but, but you'll see why. And remember, I, I just when I say radical, I mean not what uh, the culture expects, not what is expected. And that is, it ties into those other things that we've been talking about. And uh, I think this concept of radical living is a perfect way to express and that this beatitude expresses something that we've been talking about doing for years but it, I think it gives us a nice way to look at it and, and that the idea behind this radical living is living by trying to do the next right thing. That, that, that's what this whole thing is all about. See, because it's only when you have a heart that really desires, that hungers and thirsts for, uh, for righteousness and the kingdom of God that you can begin to put into uh, concept this idea of, of, of really trying to do the next right thing. And we've also talked about the fact that it's in living like that that we find life. And this beatitude is all about that. A blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word means satisfied. So the only way we're really going to find satisfaction in life is by digging into these attitudes that the Lord gives us. And this one says in particular, it's, it's all about be hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, for life in him, for a radical life, and that that it's found in living by trying to do the next right thing. And so we're gonna pick up this concept here, but we're gonna add this to our radical message and our radical hospitality and our radical generosity that, that one of the things we do along the way is this radical living, is a radical life for the Lord. And that, that, that concept is really not what drives the world, this idea of living uh, in trying to do the next right thing. You get how that's kind of counterculture? Because for most people, the motivation is doing what's best for them. Not the next right thing, just whatever they think the next best thing is for them. And there's a huge difference. And that's what we need to look at and talk about. Proverbs 3.5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's a great verse that moves into uh, this whole concept. The reality of living in the truth, uh, as that takes hold in our lives, this radical kind of life, um, we hopefully begin to comprehend that he is way better at taking care of us than we are. That, That life is never found in our pursuit of having, that life is always found in our pursuit of God and his righteousness, in our pursuit of being. And we have to have in mind this concept that God is with you, that God is for you, and that He wants the very best for you. And that He's, he's provided you the very best in His Son, and that that's, that's His heart for you. It's not a pass on living in a broken world, because we deal with stuff, but the heart of God is for you. And, and you, if you have any concept left of, of a picture of God who's out to get you, or, or who's ready to punish you, or if, if when something bad happens, your thought is, I must have done something wrong. God must be getting back at me or punishing me. we got to get that out of your mindset because it's not the way God works. It's not how we need to look at him. Um, and, and so we, we need to move, keep moving forward in him in trying to do the next right thing and that, that we figure that out by trying to live by the book instead of by the culture. The culture tells us all sorts of things are okay, but they're not. It's the book that is the final authority. You know, you know when I talk about the book, right? This one. The B-I-B-L-E, this guy. God's word, okay. And that, that what we need to do is, is, in all these areas of life, figuring out what his way is and then doing that. But that's a process that we all need to sort of get into. And I, I want to try and express that with a thought that I had couple of weeks ago, an illustration. And and I, I really felt like sometimes people ask me, well, you know, how does the how do you say sometimes you feel like the Lord impressed something on you? How does that work? Just just sometimes I feel like something will be going on in my life and I'll just feel that the Lord says it says, okay, this is just like this in my life and it sort of throws off a light bulb. Does that make sense? Um, this is one of those things. And see if maybe it only works for me. Sometimes that happens. You get something that happens for you and you tell other people and they go, yeah. But but it was really meaningful you. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, and maybe you don't. I don't know. See, just like that. Okay. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was in Texas. And I went to do a wedding uh, for my niece, and it was a blast. And we, we we leaving on a Monday to come home, and we have an early flight Monday morning out of Houston. I really didn't think it through when I bought the tickets. Um, and Houston has a really bad traffic problem. It's not pleasant at all. Like uh, Miami's got its own deal, but Houston is worse. Okay? It's just got a horrendous rush hour time. And I had to go right around that time, and I tried to leave early to miss it, and that didn't work. Um, and so here's a picture that I want to paint for you about what was happening. I'm driving. Uh, there's, there's six of us, because Sarah and Paul and the baby and, and Sammy went, and me, Alice, and Doug. So we're in this, and I've rented a little minivan, we're in this minivan. And so it's not even my regular vehicle, right? And we're driving to the airport during rush hour. Now I had taken with me a Garmin, which was a good thing. Uh, a, a Garmin is a very helpful tool because I didn't know where I was going. And I don't even remember how I used to get around before the Garmins came out because I, I don't remember how that worked, but not, it used to get around, but Okay. So we leave at 5.30, it's, it's supposed to take about an hour and a half to get to the airport, but I'm leaving an extra hour to deal with rush hour. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if we get out of here at 5.30, hour and a half, I might beat rush hour. And we'll coast into the airport, no problems, I've got to take back the rental car, whatever. And I plug in the address on the garment, and off we go. And it starts out pretty good, you know, driving around, because we're, we're quite a ways away from where we're going. And then, uh, all of a sudden, we get into... Big time rush hour. Just sort of comes on me all of a sudden, almost to a stop. And so we're stopped, you know, and, and okay, this is right, and there's traffic everywhere. And then I see this thing, this sign that says HOV lane. HOV lane, I know what that means, high occupancy vehicle. I got six people, I qualify. And, and, and so we are, we're taking, we can't get there. And finally it opens up and we move over there. Oh, it's nice, it's moving right along, HOV lane. I'm like, yes, HOV. Everybody stopped over there, we're just humming along. Well, the exit comes up that I need and there's no exit on the HOV lane for it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you know that feeling? We're making good time, guys, but we're not going in the right direction any longer. And so the Garmin starts to speak up. Right? Which is what it does. And what's it say? Recalculating. Okay, and it recalculates. And so I get off, and, it, I, and, and I, I don't, I miss it. See, this is the illustration. The, the garment keeps telling me what to do, and, I, and, and there'll be two or three choices I have to make at that moment, and I can't tell by looking at the garment which one exactly it wants me to take. And so I keep taking the wrong one. So I'm, I come up to this spot where I can get off, and I go, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And I just, I'm just, at that point where I just have to go for it. And then the Garmin goes, recalculating. Ah! And I end up in this bus, Believe it's a bus station. I'm like, oh, great. And I, tell me what to do. And it does. Go here, go here. Great, I'm on the road. And then we get going again. Okay, pretty good. Pretty good, don't know where we are, but it knows where we're going. And, and then I have a same situation, rush hour, busy. And the, the family's all in the car going, wow, look at all these buildings and everything. And I'm like, ah. I can't look away from anything, right? Because now we're moving along in bumper-to-bumper traffic at a high rate of speed, which is worse than, anyway. <laughs> and so the, 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 the Garmin, and I'm, I'm listening, and it, it's another ramp, take the right, and then there's two choices, and it doesn't give them to me quick enough, and I can't, when I look at the picture, I can't tell, and I, and I, I go wrong again. Oh, no! Recalculating. Now, I say all that to say this, I kept going, and it got me to where I was going. It was fascinating how I ended up getting there. It had nothing to do with the original route that was planned in. But sure enough, the Garmin got me there. Okay, so we go all that and everything. Later on, I'm thinking about it. was really intense. And this is where I felt like the Lord impressed on me this. See, we have an end point, all of us. We, you know, we, we, have to, we have to intersect with Christ somewhere if we're going to be with him forever. But, but from there, then we all have an end point. But, but what I want you to know is that, that God doesn't have to micromanage our lives, that there's only one set of circumstances that get us to that end point. There's an infinite set of circumstances that get us to that end point. And so we live by trying to do the next right thing. When we mess up, See, because some people mess up and they think, well, it's all done now. I can never get back into the will of God. It's never going to work. No. You you turn back to God and you say, I blew it so bad, God. That wasn't the right thing. I know it wasn't. Will you forgive me? And he does. Remember this picture? And he gives you a big hug and he loves you. And I love you. Now go and do the next right thing. And it's like recalculating. Do you get it? And then you start again. And you're still heading to the same end point. Because he's got that figured out. There's an end point. I get it. There's an end point in the book. We know how it all all gonna work out. But there's an infinite set of circumstances that are gonna make it go just this way, your life included. That's why you're supposed to pray. People tell me all the time, well, let's all figure out why do we need to pray? Because there's an infinite set of circumstances to get you to the end point. And you pray, and Jesus says that your prayers impact it. There's not just one set of circumstances. That gets you to your end point. There's, there's one Jesus. You have to intersect with him in order to get there and accept him. But from there in your journey, and so if you mess up what you do, and God knows you do, it's not like you can't get back on track. It's a big giant recalculating. And off you go again. And, and uh, that just really spoke to me because, uh, you see, you need to be... Some people get so driven by trying to get it right all the time that they never... they never, And you can't get it right all the time. You're going to mess up. Because when they mess up, they don't, they don't want to admit it and they don't run back to God. And you have to. So you have to. We're all broken. I don't know anybody that's not broken. We're all broken because we've lived in a broken planet, in a fallen world, and it, we're all broke. And, and the reality that I found is... Um, We're not completely fixed until Jesus comes back for us. We're in process. But there's broken parts of our lives, and sometimes we'll make a wrong choice. But knowing that God can still work in it, we run back to him and ask for forgiveness, and he gives it to us, and he sends us along. And I love that about God. And you have to to see God that way to experience life. And it's not a pass to go and do whatever you want to do, because I I think, you know... uh, the closer you stick to the main set of circumstances in your life, the better off you are, but there's, you can get when God can bring you right back. Do you know what I mean? It's not, a, it's not a provision to go out and do whatever you want to do. We're supposed to live by the book. But sometimes we'll mess up because we're broken. And that's why we need Jesus. If we, if, we weren't, if we could get unbroken, we wouldn't need Jesus anymore. I don't know about you, I need Jesus more. The, more I, the closer I get, the more I realize how desperately I need him in my life. I'm rambling, that's okay, I have this thought. I want to see how it works with this group. So it might just be a deep thought for me, I don't know. This is what I think my goal is in radical living. Our goal, I'll express it corporately. Our goal is to um, recognize and embrace our own brokenness and be healed enough in Jesus to help other broken people recognize and embrace their brokenness so that they can get healed enough in Jesus to help other broken people. Does that make sense? For one more. See, that's what it's about. That's what this journey's about to me. You know, I, I can walk with the Lord forever and not get everything right, but just heal me enough, Jesus, that I can help somebody else to get to you, to get healed enough that they can help somebody else, to get healed enough that they can help somebody else, to get healed enough. But it's only in you know, we talked about humility and reality and, and gentleness. It's only in embracing and recognizing our own brokenness that we ever get there. And that, that's that's and that that when we when we mess up, which isn't what we shoot for, we mess by, we really shoot for trying to do the next right thing, but when we mess up, we go running back to God. And it's just love you, recalculating. Anyway, I ramble. With all that in mind, I, I want to just quickly talk about some practical things in this concept, again, of trying to live doing the next right thing. And we've, we've talked through some of this, but, but uh, I think it's important that we go back to it. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says that No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, He'll also provide a way out that you can stand up under it. See, life presents us these opportunities for choices. That's what it's all about, doing the next right thing. And, and, and sometimes we get wrong opportunities presented to us, and we move in that direction, and those things we call temptations. And they look like all sorts of things to all sorts of people. You can't just say, oh, there's one. Temptation is temptation. And so what do we do with it? Because that, that scripture promises us three things, or three ways to help us do the next right thing. So let's talk about them, break them down. Um, we talked about some of this meh, a couple of months ago, but I think it's important to bring it back up. Um, so 1 Corinthians 10:13 says but when you are tempted and so that's your first note when you are tempted. And I want you to think about it this way though. Um, and and this is the question and I know I ran this by you a couple months ago but see we forget time gets busy. The question that I would ask in response to that is for you to think about when are you tempted? So uh, you're going to be tempted but start really thinking about it and do it again if you did it before do it again when are you tempted? What's the pat? See, I believe there's a pattern. What's the pattern that causes you not to do the next right thing? And so, there's some questions you can ask yourself. When am I most tempted? Um, uh, what is it that I'm doing? You know, wh- where am I? Who, who am I with? Maybe what's what is it that's most uh, tempting to me? And and you know that idea of temptation is things that make you stop trusting in God and start trusting in something else. That's sin. And, and all of a sudden, we stop trusting God and we just turn to something else for pain relief or for whatever in our lives. That's, that's where the sin comes. Um, you know, for point of example, let me tell you that when I was driving on that thing, I was getting really stressed. And then, and then out of my stress, I was getting worried. Anybody else ever have this happen? Because now I'm worrying about, am I ever going to get there? What if this thing's wrong? Am I, We're going to make the flight. I want to go home. <laughs> Why are all these crazy people around me driving on these? I'm, and I'm, so I'm getting stressed and worried. And that's a temptation for me is to get worried. See, and maybe none of you struggle with that, but there it is. So let's say that it's, it's worry. And let's say that, that if worry is trying to come on us and that's a temptation, because when I worry, it means I'm not trusting God. It's as, it's as big a sin as any of the others. It's just something that more people, you know, take on and don't even think about. So, so it, it, when I start to worry then, um, uh, then I know that I'm moving in and not trusting God. What are the questions that I would ask myself? Well, why am I worrying? What set of circumstances in play right now that makes me feel I can tell what I'm worrying. What's, what's stirring it up? What's doing it? What, you know, is, there, is there somebody that, that you know uh, moves that in me more than others? Is there situations? What is it? Because I, I don't want to get there. The second thing, then, is that he always provides a way out. You have to know that. When you are feeling tempted, you need to pray. I taught you the temptation prayer a couple of months ago, and I know it was very detailed, and so maybe you didn't get to write it down when I did it. The temptation prayer is, "Help." If you didn't get it before, go ahead and write it down. Is that a prayer? Absolutely. That's a great prayer because it'll get you. It means you're going to stop trusting in whatever you're looking at and start trusting in God again. God, I need your help. Help. That's, it doesn't need to be better than that. God gets that one. And and then. Um, Jesus is sympathetic to what you're going through and i help you. Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we can receive mercy and grace to find us a help, find help in our time of need. See, um, like when I'm worrying about something and I catch myself now, I cry help, and then I, I start thinking, well, you know, is God is bigger than all of this. What am I worried about? God's still God. Nothing changed in the whole God range. You know what I mean? Nothing changed other than I'm looking at some stuff in ways that I shouldn't. And so I cry out, help. And and I remember that he can sympathize with me and that there's grace for me and and I can get to the throne room and I need to go there and get mercy and grace. And usually it looks like... I've seen God move into so many situations over my life that, you know, why would I think that He's not going to move into whatever situation I'm dealing with at that moment? He's going to. So I remember that. And then you can stand up it uh, under it. The third thing, you can stand up under it. Um, the, there's a, uh, this trigger, whatever it is, is usually the, the, the trigger's outside, but what's going on is inside. James 1 4, 14 and 15. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And so it's, it's something that's hitting our hearts. And so we have to be careful what we allow in to our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And so when you recognize that you're being tempted, the most important thing to do is the temptation prayer, which is help, and then change your focus. You, you cry out help, you understand that God will give you the mercy and grace you need, and then you change your focus. So, like, if let's say that you're, 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 all of a sudden you're really worried about something, it's all too, let's just say that's the temptation to just really go down the worry path and to worry this, whatever the situation is, out to the worst extremes, to think about every possible bad outcome that you might think about anybody. And you, you could take that all the way you want, spend a whole day just running out an entire spectrum of, of horrendous outcomes. Or you can cry out help and change your focus. You know what? Instead of thinking about all that, I think I'll just ponder the Lord for a little while because he's bigger than all that. And I'll get all worked up and it won't make any difference. And so you, you change your focus. You change the direction of your thoughts. I, I, I did it just the other day. I, and and getting, I don't have this perfected yet. But, but when I do start to feel myself worried, I'm catching it quicker. And I go, wait, wait, why am I doing this? Why am I stressing out over this situation? God is God. He's bigger than this. Whatever works out will work out. It's okay. I'm going to do the next right thing. And the next right thing isn't to worry. Because it means I don't trust him. The next right thing is that, God, I trust you. And then I think about things of him. Remember Philippians 4, 6? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. I remember that verse. We memorized it. And, and I just start thinking about that. And I go, you know, God's so much bigger. And, and, and I'm going to trust him. And I can trust him. And he's for me. He's with me. He wants the best for me. He's moving me towards an end point. But even when I mess up, I get a giant spiritual recalculating when I ask for forgiveness. And, he, and I'm, out of, I'm out again. He sends me on my way. Go. I love you. Go. I'm with you. And so the idea is that, that as we face these things, you know, we, we get better at making right choices, but it's a process. And when we mess up, you go run into them. If you don't think you can, then you can't ever really experience what you need to kind of move into that flow of life, where life is satisfying where we realize the goodness and the love of God. And it's in that that we can extend to others, not trying to hit some set of rules and think that somehow if we... It, see, because if we have this thought that if we just get everything right, well, then it'll all be okay. Then everything will work out. It just doesn't happen. That's just that having thing. It's, it's circumstances, not attitude. Attitude is where we find life. The attitudes of loving God and loving others. That's where life is found. It's found in being not having. And that's all I have to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. I don't know where that came from, but that's just popped up Forrest Gump in my brain. (laughs) Okay. If you're watching my video, thank you for watching. God bless you. If you need anything, you can call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer tonight, so let's do just that. Father, we